Thank you for joining us here at Tabletop Journeys. I'm Lee Wanika, and I'm here to talk to you and bring you a very special episode tonight. The idea, as you've seen from previous weeks, is we're going to meet the cast and crew of Star Trek Preservations, Tabletop Journeys' very own Star Trek Adventures RPG actual play podcast. We drop episodes every Tuesday, and while we're on our season break, we're going to do some behind-the-scenes cast interviews. You, my dear audience, my favorite listeners in all of the known universe, are going to get a chance to jump in and get those Blu-ray extra features. I'm here with one of our cast members who I'm going to ask to introduce himself in just one moment uh, so that you can get all the good info on this wonderful role player and his amazing character and what he's looking forward to with Star Trek Preservations. Without any further ado, introduce yourself to the audience, my friend. Hi, my name is Adam Scaramel. I live in Massachusetts, happily married with two sons. I work as a data privacy and security analyst for my real job at a university. And uh, I guess I'll share that I'm a two-time cancer survivor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go much more into that other than to say thank you. Whatever anybody chooses to believe in, thank them because the, the folks who've been through it, they've been through it and – I, for one, am glad, my friend, you're still with us here to just share this crazy life we've got. I'm going to jump right into some of the individual and personal questions so that our audience gets to know you. I've known you for a lot of years. Like I said, in the pre-run-up, I absolutely we mentioned the fact that we've known each other for a lot of years. We've got some time behind us. And so I want the audience to know you at least sort of as well as I do. So, Adam, would you care to tell us how you got started in role-playing in general and TTRPGs and other role-playing as well. So give us a story. Wow. Okay. So my actual introduction to gaming was my cousin gave me the D&D Blue Box and the first edition player's handbook for D&D. I think I was nine. Uh, so it was a few years before I actually found groups to play with. But I would I would absorb a lot of the, the material. I would go down to the bookstore, find the near the modules. I'd pick them all up, played a handful of games in middle school and high school, played Star Frontiers, which was uh, going way back. And I played a, a number of systems over the years, GURPS, Palladium, a couple homebrew systems. And then I met you playing White Wolf LARPs up in Maine. When we were up at a University of Southern Maine, and we were collectively, we collectively had a lot less gray in the beard back in the day. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Excellent. You've gamed a lot. And our particular LARP community, one, was pretty large at University of Southern Maine. And we have a large number of friends that we are still in connection with. And lifelong friends were made during those formative years. Uh, one of the things that I find when I talk to people about it may not be absolutely unique, but people still seem to be pretty impressed by the volume of gaming and LARPing our community did. Because generally speaking, there was at least one LARP a week almost every month of the year, mm -hmm. with very few exceptions. 
and in some cases, there, you might have even had your choice of LARPs, because there might have been one running on the Gorham campus and another one running at the Portland campus at any given time. So we had a lot of gaming going on. So there was ones that I ran, there's ones that you ran, there were ones we were both players at, all of that, all of those things, including LARPs and including your history with gaming in general. Do you find that you are, have been primarily a GM, primarily a player, or has that waxed and waned or gone all over the place throughout the years? I started out, when I first found my gaming groups, I was largely a player and I had never GM'd anything before. There are three storytellers that really made an impact on my life, on my the way that I do that. And those three really just taught me how to do it, and they encouraged me to do it. And over time, I started running some games, but I was still playing. I tend to game GM more often. I try to find the opportunity to play, but I'm often slipping back into the GM role. I'm running three games right now. Two of them are online. One of them's in person at my house. I run games at local cons, usually through the Adventure League or or similar groups there. I tend to I try to play just so that I get that experience on the other side of the on, of the screen, but I do tend to to GM more than I play. So I have increased my game running at conventions, and I have found that running pre-written modules with my own particular flair, style, and technique is much easier, better, and enjoyable at a convention than something that's strictly homebrew. I have, mm-hmm. with one exception, there is a homebrew setting I do that is specifically designed adventure-based and short adventure-based that seems to do quite well at conventions as well so that seems to have been well done spoiler alert that is something i'm also crafting to eventually become a series of modules so that might have something to do with why it seems to be working in a similar vein but learning as i go and getting there and as we're talking about conventions and specifically your experiences with organized play and running at conventions talk to us a little bit about some of the things you've done in addition to just gaming and gming with organized play look thinking of a certain web page where one might find your name listed oh yes, uh, with yes. some stuff yeah no i've i worked with the group called tri when it was still in existence i read i wrote a couple of modules for them you can find them on D, uh, dmsguilt.com they're usually under you can find it under mine just look for my name you'll see that i also did worked with a group to do a collection of holiday-based events. I think it was called the 12 Days of Midwinter was the name of the uh, the production there. And we got some good reviews on that. People have pinged me occasionally and they tell me that they found my adventures and they really enjoyed them, which is really the only reason that I ever wanted to do that sort of writing is because I, I, if it's gaming, whether it's D and D or anything else, if the people that you're involved with are having fun, and you've won the game. Yeah, stealing a phrase from our friends over at the RPG Academy. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Shifting gears and moving into the realms of the Alpha and Beta quadrants, how did you first get into Star Trek as a whole? Where, when did the IP first land in your orbit, pun intended? And uh, tell us about that. I have largely been a fantasy guy, but 
Star Trek has always played a, had a place in my heart. My my dad introduced me to it. He had a set of books that were in his bedroom dresser that I would go and I would read uh, occasionally. It was Star Trek Log 1, Log 2, Log 3, Log 4. It was a box set. I read those two or three times. He had – I actually just posted on the, uh, the Facebook page – the, some of the materials that he also had in there, he had the uh, where is it the, uh, the concordance, the, uh, the Starfleet manual, and I just found the maps, the blueprints of Ooh. the the Enterprise, and I remember going through those years, days. I was looking at them, and it's the only reason why I'm able to confidently say that yes, the Enterprise did have bathrooms in it, yeah, because yeah. I know that I found them in there. So. <laughs> Those old blueprint style maps of the Enterprise from the FASA collections and all those other technical manuals that came out back in the day always have a very warm place in my heart. I remember there was a, a long time where I couldn't get them, but my game store had a set that was opened and I could actually go look at it every now and then. I'm just looking for something neat, so he'd let me, because I'm careful with stuff. He, he could trust me. I've been there for years and I could actually open it up, fold out that map carefully and see that. And I just, I, I remember looking at that map and saying, this is where I want to adventure. Man, they should have done an episode in this section of the ship. That would have been cool. And I, that was that's how my head went back in the day. And Lord, the whole universe opened up when the TNG technical manual, the original first print brown cover, when that got printed. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was – yeah, we were styling when that one came out. <laughs> when you were first looking at some of those older things, I'm assuming that's where you first got your first look at Star Trek role-playing. But when did you first get into role-playing in Star Trek, or how did that come about? Interestingly enough, this is my first experience with a Star Trek role-playing game. Most of the materials that I had before, it was this was at a time before – after Star Trek had come off the air – and before it had gone into syndication. So yes. this was my only real exposure to it besides seeing the cartoon at some point and wanting to see more of that because the cat people were awesome. Yeah. Um, and But that was – so this has been my, my, my first experience with Star Trek roleplay games. And that has been less about me not wanting to play it versus just never had the opportunity. Yep. So – had finances lasted a little bit longer and me been able to stay as a student at USM versus a resident of Portland who hung out at USM, one of the things that I was working on at one point was using Vampire the Masquerade rules, theater of the mind rules, a Star Trek LARP called Dark Frontiers, I think is what I was calling it. Oh, that would have been. And I had actually gotten fairly far into that process. Somewhere, some computer buried in this house or in my gaming closet, there's a computer that actually has a couple of the basic things and one of my initial storylines that I was considering. So very cool stuff. I, yeah, I love Star Trek because I was really thinking we'd all go out and get uniforms and how cool would it be for our whole group to descend on the student union spot there at USM in Starfleet uniforms like all of us. It would have been badass. That, was that would have been fun. Talking. That would have been, been great. We're going to shift a little bit. We've talked about and given the audience a, a peek, just a little peek at how you came into gaming and your approach to gaming a little bit. I, I did want to ask you about that right before we shift into very character-specific and Star Trek preservation 
and specifics. How do you approach gaming? What's do you, do you have any things hallmarks that you consider this is a pure Adam Scaramella moment or style? Not really. I do tend to enjoy support. I, I hate, I'm not always the person to take the lead, although I guess I'm called a gamma male, which means it, I can play, be the alpha if need be, but I don't need to be. I can follow just as easy as anybody else. I, I like helping other people shine in games, especially as I've been a GM turned player. I, that's one of the things that I like to be able to do that I can see what's, what the storytellers are trying to do sometimes and prod some of the, the more novice players into taking that step up. But as far as characters that I build and whatnot, I often try to take a facet of my own personality and expand on that and say, okay, if I exaggerate this a bit, almost to a comic or a cartoonish extreme, what does that character look like to start? Who, what's shaped him in that? And so that's where a lot of my characters come from, because I enjoy playing characters that I can relate to. When I was driving up to Maine those times, that's <clears throat> usually because I was in the car by myself for an hour and a half, I would zone out and I would get in the head of the characters and be like, okay, this has happened. And then, you know, little storylines that play off in your head are nothing like what you actually end up doing at the game. But it was still, you know, it was still a little bit of, uh, of a way to develop the character and have a, have a sense of how I would deal with other people. So. I think that's one of the things that you and I share a lot in common. I pretty consistently, when I'm a player, am playing an aspect of me with that exaggeration. Hmm. Whether it be to that comedic or cartoonish level or that super dramatic, ultimate tragic, I will go both directions yeah. with it, depending on what the story calls for, what that group is missing or needs. I can either add comic relief or pathos, and sometimes a little of both. I was thinking about my very first werewolf character when I played Dog Dawson. That was the kind of character that kind of did both things. Like in a lot of scenes, I was the comic relief. But then I also had these really deep, dark kind of things going on that were also that pathos, depending on which group of players I was around at the time so I could lean into both and like you said gamma male I could be whatever and I specifically chose a character who was never going to be a leader like I said I'm not doing that this time other people are going to have to lead me or this character is going to go wild and it was awesome I love that aspect of gaming in general thinking about Star Trek preservations in the game that we've spent just shy of a year doing at this point. Introduce your character. Let the audience members, especially those who are coming to us for the first time or may have only caught an episode here or there, right before we say, hey, go listen to it from the beginning. Catch the whole thing. But introduce your character. Tell them uh, all about you. Ocean is the first officer of the of the ship, and he is a an Andorian. He is he is currently the first officer, but he's recently been promoted from the position of security officer. Like most of the crew, he is not too far out of Starfleet Academy, but he's a little bit older than some of the other other crew members. He came to Starfleet late. Later aged than most uh, cadets. His four parents all had a hand in raising him. Andorians ha come from, they have four sexes that you guys can go to Star Trek Alpha sites and find out the 
geology, the biology of Andorians for yourself. But they have, he has four parents. All of them had a hand in raising him, but he was raised largely by two of them who were constables on a planet in the demilitarized zone. So he took him a while to come back into the Federation territories as a full-fledged member. He spent most of his life out in that area. But he enrolled in Starfleet, got a recommendation from one of his other parents who recently retired from the Andorian Guard. She is somebody who instilled in him that sense of Andorian honor. That's where he got a lot of his start. He does seem to be a little bit more reserved than your stereotypical Andorian. Part of that is his upbringing, and part of that is my own sort of stoic approach, the wait and see thing that I tend to to do in real life. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with a healthy dose of pragmatism, no matter yes. where you are in the galaxy. <laughs> in the development of Ocean, we had a great session mm-hmm. zero where we all built our characters and talked them through quite a bit. What were your biggest influences during your mental formation of the character and your building of the character? Where do, where do you think uh, the origins sprang from with the, with the character? As you said, we had that great character building session. And I, I'll be honest, some of it, because we were all sitting in front of a, a web page that I had never seen before, the character generator uh, I don't want to say that I was throwing darts at the um, the screen, but I was taking a couple things at random at first glance. I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting, and this sounds interesting. I knew that we had that initial conversation about who was going to take each role, and it seemed like I was going to be the security officer. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to go down that road. Maybe we'll do this. And I was like, okay, I pick certain things. But it wasn't until afterwards that I really started to think through the character. So he had that he had that grew up growing up in an outpost. He had picked up the trait criminal contacts. With that I fleshed together the idea that he came from this borderland border world and he had been involved with the legal side, like the law abiding side of it, but there was a heavy influence on that world to be to work with the smugglers, both because you, you, it was a scenario where you couldn't get much done being like too straight and narrow, but also because we needed them to uh, protect and to supply the uh, the, 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 the the planets in the um, in the demilitarized zone. So, yeah, there's there's something to be said for the trains running on time, right? Yes. (laughs) Within limits. (laughs) Uh, I really appreciate the fact that that the development really happened in that session. I've said it on any number of episodes, and and I will continue to say it. If you have the wherewithal and the ability, you're putting together a campaign, whether it's short form, long form, whatever the case may be, in this system or any system, if you have the opportunity, give your players the chance to say, here's what we're doing. Give them kind of that those broad strokes 
and say, let's all build characters together. Magic happens when you're putting in all of those little ingredients mm-hmm. and you're stirring it up and then the sparks start to fly. I know I felt that when we were doing that session zero, because whatever amount of time I thought it was going to take to do that, we went quite a bit longer, but none of oh, it yeah. to me was wasted time. It was absolutely a brilliant session. When all the cameras were off and everything was shut off, and I was sitting at this, in this very chair in this very office, I remember going man, that was good. And just like settling in and like breathing. Like, oh, I can't wait to get this game going. <laughs> like, yeah, that, we, we are going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> yeah, That's what I've always called a true session zero. So a lot of times when I hear people talk about session zeros, they have, it's a scenario where people come to the table, they've already created a character and they share some of that character with the other players and the DM and the DM is then expected to try to see how he can shoehorn them into the scenario. And when I try to do a true session zero, I bring the players together. I ask them to come to the table with no stats, no nothing, not even that I want to be the thief. I want to be, or I want to be the paladin come to the table with the high level idea of, I'd like to play somebody who plays around in the shadows a little bit, or I'd like to be the person who does this and have them talk to each other because that also allows them to say, okay, the next step is how would you guys know each other? And then from there, you can start to say, okay, we're going to be like brothers. So how do we figure out like you went this path and I went this path. So if you're going to be the wizard and I'm going to be a cleric, maybe we go the arcane domain kind of thing. Those kind of things. That's what I call a true true session zero because it is something that a lot of people don't realize. That's the big that's the biggest power of that initial ses- session is not just to set expectations, but to figure out how you're gonna make the game collaborative amongst the players, cooperative. Yeah, avoiding those things where you have too many people that do things the same way. And for those who haven't listened to that episode in a long time or are going to leave this episode and go back and listen to that, because I do think it was a really good set of episodes. Actually, that Session Zero played over three or four set episodes, if I recall correctly. Having Giving the overall direction, don't worry about what department you want to be in. Everybody can be in any department. If we have three people in one department, that's absolutely fine. But not going any further than that allowed us, because initially we had three people in security. Mm-hmm. and But we had three very different types of security officers. And I think that was great. It was everything I wanted it to be because everybody had complete freedom to make the character they wanted to make that they would enjoy. And none of those characters truly stepped on each other's toes. Despite the fact that there were three characters in that realm, the beauty of our setup at that time before we went to a full-on cast actual play kind of setup was not all the players were in each session at the same time. Josh and I had the ability to put people in different kind of parts of the mission or parts of the adventure. So there's just, it was brilliant the way that kind of worked out. And I really liked how that played out. Continue to encourage people have those big, as you say, true session zeros when you're starting those big campaigns at your home tables, regardless of system, you're going to find real magic there. Thinking about uh, the character, thinking about Ocean and where he's been, what has been your favorite element of the character that you've used in season one? 
I think I can actually call out two. Like I said, we, I fleshed out in my head the his experiences on Soltak 4, which is the planet he grew up on. And the whole idea that he needed to they needed to leverage smugglers and other types to survive he's learned not to immediately pass judgment there have been scenarios in the episodes where people are jumping to that in various conclusions i find oceans taking that step back and watching the reactions and he's trying to play that devil's advocate to the various positions that are going on the the scenarios required him to learn patience and watching those situations and what it make what makes it a favorite of mine is is that some of our crew can be a little bit more impulsive than that and i'm enjoying feeling ocean's sort of anxiety at dealing with these people that he wants to tell them to slow down and shut up and do but he just he lets some of it go and so forth and uh, yeah that was that's one of the things that i really i've enjoyed having that sort of play out in a way that I didn't quite expect it to. The other one that I, I, I actually enjoy, I enjoy the fact that it's come out, although I think it's the captain's favorite ability of mine. He's really embraced the idea that Ocean always seems to know a guy, the criminal contacts that he has. It makes me smile because, like I said, the captain and the other uh, crew members seem to have embraced the fact that I have these resources, but no one's really ever questioned why I have these resources or what I'm giving them in return. So there's that element that it's like, okay, yeah, no, it's don't, don't ask, don't tell. I can, I can deal with, I can do that. So, but those are fun things that I've enjoyed so far with, with the character and the way that things have played out. Um, the, the, that particular mechanic, I think is a little clunky with the way that it's written uh, because it does require you to say at the beginning of the scene, um, you have to ask for it, but it's like you don't know that you're going to be reaching out to these people until you you, you, don't, you don't know the questions that you want to ask unless you already have part of the scene. So it's I think that in one of the episodes, I think I actually asked for a scene change so that I could leverage that. And uh, that was one way that we did it. But uh, yeah, I love that ability. And mostly because. I'm the kind of gamer that loves connections. My absolute love and favorite element of Vampire the Masquerade in the White Wolf games, Theater of the Mind games, was the influence mechanic. Like, I absolutely 100% loved it. And I think of that particular ability as an exercise in using street or underworld influence. No differently than we abuse the heck out of those influence traits when we played white wolf larks like that mm -hmm. is what that is for me every time you've gone to use it when i've been behind the screen i'm like oh he's doing the thing he's doing the thing and i try to hide my glee and then it's and then i think and i hope it comes through in the episodes audience let us know in the comments below if you think it has but i love the way you give me some cues as to it's probably going to be this kind of way or that kind of way and i'm always thinking okay so you're going to get this kind of intel but if it's coming from cd underbelly it's got to come in a method it's not a pristine proper report with all the T's crossed and I's dotted. It's going to be, yeah, man, I know they were moving some stuff. They were doing this and that. And my buddy down in District 9, 
he got pinched and that was the officer that pinched him. So that's definitely the guy you want to talk to. If you're looking for folks who are law folks who are on the up and up, that's your guy. Cause nobody was buying that dude off. Those types of things are the way it's got to come across. And I love the way you are able to telegraph. We're at great distance. My contacts are going to be maybe in this or do yeah. I ha- have any contacts in this area or this arena, that kind of thing. To me, it's a great marriage of even if though it's a, an oddly worded mechanic, it's a great marriage of a mechanic, a play style, and a player and GM communication that really pays off in big, fun, and dynamic ways in the actual games that we play. Last thing I'm going to ask, I think, unless you give me a need for it, unless you spark my, my creative juices, as you often do. Last question I'm going to ask is about less about where we've been or where we are with Ocean and the Delamas Christian and Star Trek Preservations. What is or what are the elements of your character that you are most looking forward to visiting, using, exercising, being a part of in mm-hmm. season two? I was thinking about this question earlier, and I originally thought you were going to be asking me whether or not there's like story hooks in my background that I'd love to see threaded in. And there are. There's the one that we were just chatting about, the fact that I have all these criminal contacts and they're giving me all this stuff. But what are there any ramifications to that? I do. I for the audience, I don't know, and I don't want to know. I am somebody who will who will see the big red button and press it while nobody's looking. But the that's one element. Seeing something that ties into that, we already have the some ties into the I don't want to say the underworld, but more the seedier elements with folks like Brazic and that kind of thing. But like a, a, it may be even a minor storyline that sort of delves into having to take off the, the communicators and do something a little bit more gritty. So that's one idea. The other one is Ocean has a fairly large family. He has three parents that are still alive, and he has three kids of his own. And one of them is a, I don't know, we I came up with this off the top. This is just a brain flash that I had during the episode with the Zindi hive ship or the world, the, the seed ship, where we had the the young, uh, spoiler alert, skip ahead 15, minute, 15 seconds if you don't want to hear this, the junior translator that had been promoted to uh, the role that she was in because of nepotism. And in my logs for that day, I made a comment to reach out to her and uh, my, my daughter um, and say to Asara, uh, don't expect that kind of, of support from me. You will rise or fall under your own power. If you have background things that you'd always like to get woven in. I think those are really cool things. And I'm not going to give spoilers, so I'm not going to respond too much to a lot of your answer there. But I think we're going to have some fun. Definitely going to have some fun. Adam, here we are coming right up on the end of the evening for this particular moment. I just want to say thank you so very much for, one, being a friend all these years. The way you've run games and been a player has greatly informed how I play, approach other players, especially because you had been LARPing for a while before I started. I was one of those junior LARPers at one point, really looking at, oh, so this is how you do it. There were some not great examples in our community. And mm-hmm. then there were some really good examples as well. So I'm really glad that for whatever reason, you, I, I gravitated towards you. And then 
I got to stay in that orbit. I think it was has been wonderful and amazing knowing you all these years and for all these years to come. Joining this game has been an absolute win for me as a game master, as a player, and as a person. I love having you in this game. I love your approach to gaming. And I can't envision the Delamas Christian without you being amongst its crew. Thank you. That means a lot. With that, I'm going to close this out for tonight. Thank you, everyone, for listening in on this little behind-the-scenes rap session about the game and about Adam, our connections over the years, and certainly the Dalamas Christian and Star Trek Preservations. Thank you for being audience members for Tabletop Journeys. Look forward to seeing you. We have another cast interview coming next week for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll get into Season 2. I'm going to give you a little spoiler Before we get into season two, there's also going to be one of these cast interviews with Josh and myself interviewing each other about the game. And we will give you a few little hints about the coming season. That's going to happen after we record that first episode. So the players will have no ability to know anything that's happening in that interview. But you, the audience, you're going to have that that little up front. So it's going to be fun. Thanks so much, everyone. And as I always say when I'm closing any Star Trek Adventures episode for Tabletop Journeys, IDIC, y'all. Have a good night.